0: As we welcome you back to Spirit Mornings here on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, we are rolling up our sleeves and getting ready for Scripture. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. And if you want to know more, we suggest go to the Bible. Open it up and start reading. Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with us again this morning, Sharon Doran. Sharon, good morning and welcome. Good
1: morning. Good morning, Bruce. And, Hi. And
0: how are you on this fine I'm, Thursday? I'm
1: great. I'm great. I'm... Ready for this chapter 5, I love it.
0: All right, well, we'll be uh, heading in there, but uh, let's uh, just do a, kind of a little recap on some of the areas uh, that we have been uh, covering here. And
1: okay, well, last time we were talking about Jesus um, first revealing himself to the Jews. He's come in John's Gospel, and we see how he's revealing himself, his deity and his humanity, and uh, his first sign of changing water into wine was at a Jewish wedding feast at Cana, and he revealed himself also in the next chapter to Nicodemus, a brilliant Jewish teacher, a rabbi, a teacher of the Jewish law. And then last time we were together in chapter four, he revealed himself to a Samaritan woman, a half-breed, a foreign woman who had five husbands, is with a six, she's richly unclean, she's a Samaritan. Under normal conditions, no Jewish man would be speaking with her. But Jesus Christ places himself right in her path, and uh, he comes in need. He has no bucket, and the well is deep. So he needs, he needs her. He puts himself in her path. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of chapter four, we'll see Um, that Jesus will show himself to the Gentiles. Also, he heals the son of a royal official, probably most likely a Roman centurion or member of Herod's royal court. So we see Jesus is revealing who he is in John's Gospel, and he's just broadening the universality of his mission. He has come for all. And then also uh, at the end of that, uh, both the stories in chapter four, we saw the power of personal testimony. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an area where we as Catholics can really be stretched to grow in, because it's so powerful. Pope Benedict has, has prayed for Catholics and exhorted us to just be more courageous in our verbal witness of truth, because we live in a culture, Bruce, as you know, a very tolerant culture that believes there is no absolute truth, right. and moral relativism is rampant. So so we not... We, we just can't be afraid to tell our stories because those bear witness to Jesus Christ and what he's done in our own lives. And uh, that's what John the Baptist did so well in, in the beginning of John's gospel. No one, no one, no one can refute what the Lord has done in your own life. So we have to share our stories to bear light and and illuminate the world. Uh, the Samaritan woman's going to leave her water jar at the well. And she's symbolic of leaving her old life behind. And she runs back to the village to tell everybody that she thinks she's found Jesus Christ. She thinks she's found the Messiah. And uh, she she goes as far as t- uh, telling the people, he told me everything I ever did. So the spirit of truth has really convicted her heart. Mm-hmm. And, and she heard truth there. And she doesn't care what they think of her. She's going to run and tell everybody about Jesus. And it tells us in verse 41 of John 4 that because of his words, many, many more became believers. She wasn't afraid to tell. And also the royal official, he had to have told his family because his whole entire... Your household uh, comes to know Jesus Christ. He was walking and and begs Jesus, begs Jesus to heal to heal his son. And uh, when he inquires as to what time his son got better, they said the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And he realizes that's the exact time that, that Jesus had prayed for his son. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he must have told his his whole household because we're told that he and his entire household believed. So it's just really, really important to tell our stories and to tell um what God has done for us. My dad used to have a sign on our front door. It was from Joshua 24, 15, and Go it says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Good one. So I mean, he he just was not embarrassed to have that on our front door. I was a little embarrassed when dates would come to the door. We had five girls and two boys, and your your date for the dance comes up, and the first thing he sees is, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a little bit uh, <laughs> a little embarrassing for you, sure. but but not really. Um, Father Crappie, I think he's a great witness. He he's not afraid to tell if his sinful past, his life of bondage, and all the ways God has has worked in his life because it glorifies the Father. And uh, I had dinner with um, Katie Peterson this weekend, and her dad's Tom Peterson, who started Catholics Come Home and Virtue uh, Media Company. And he was on a retreat in 1997 and had a profound reversion back to the Catholic faith. And then he had this calling to do something with it. And so he founded Catholics Come Home and Virtue Media Company. And it's just like, when God works in your life, you want to tell someone about it. So Mm -hmm. we see uh, Nicodemus in Chapter 3 crawling away under the cover of night. He's not going to tell anyone yet. Right. He doesn't want to be recognized. He doesn't want anyone to know. And so he's he's still wrestling with it. But later in John's Gospel, in chapter 19, we'll see that he buys enough myrrh for a king's burial. And now he doesn't care who knows it. So... Um, I also always cling to the words of our first pope, St. Peter, in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. So our first pope calls us to be ready with our with our testimony. So... Um, we saw that the official son, that was after two days he left Galilee, so it was on the third day, and it's back in Cana. We know that on the third day, a first miracle happened back in Cana. So we see Jesus revealing himself to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles, the Samaritans and the Roman pagans. And uh, we see in all these chapters, water and the spirit is a common theme. And today we're going to see that there's there's a problem. Jesus is going to restore a man that's physically paralyzed, but there's still a problem. And the problem is sin in his life. Mm -hmm. So even after our own baptism, we're washed free of original sin, but sin is still a problem. And the problems are proclivity to sin, our bend towards sin. So I'm really thankful in our uh, faith that we have the sacrament of reconciliation. Amen. And we'll see a lot of underpinnings for that in John's gospel, especially in John 20, when uh, the risen Christ comes through locked doors to meet with those 11 uh, apostles. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And and with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not Forgiven, mm-hmm. and Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that we're going to love ourselves more. He knows that we're still going to be dealing with sin. Uh, he knows people are going to continually need to have their sins forgiven. Baptism is is a washing; it's that cleansing of original sin and all the sins at that time. But what about after baptism? I also love in John thirteen when Jesus Himself is washing their feet, and Peter says, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" And Jesus says, "Do you not realize now? You don't realize it now what I'm doing." But later you're going to understand. No, 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 said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Mm. Then Simon says, Oh, not just my feet then, but my hands and head as well. (laughs)
0: I'll take it all. Don't you love him? (laughs) Yes. And
1: Jesus says, Those who have a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. So we've been baptized, our whole body is clean, we've been washed free of original sin. But But our feet still get dirty. You know, we need confession. We're walking around in this world, in this culture, all the day long and all the temptation it has to offer us. Our feet get dirty. We've had the bath of baptism, but we still need confession on a regular basis. Uh, How are your feet today? Can you take your shoes off right now? No. <laughs> I could.
0: Actually, I could. It was a shower day today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, Bible, the Bible doesn't come right out and say, you need the sacrament of reconciliation. Right. That's because you know our church is a living, breathing, active church. We have a magisterium that's been empowered by the Holy Spirit to enact these sacraments. Later, he says, later you'll understand. You don't get it now, Peter, but later you will. So it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the living church interprets uh, the meaning of God's words and implements it into the sacraments. Seven sacraments, by the way, mm-hmm. that perfect number of new covenant completion and perfection. And so uh, I, I also always go back to what John said in chapter 21, Jesus did many other things. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would have been written. So the church by the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the authority granted to it by Jesus Christ himself, when in Matthew 16, he tells Peter, Peter, you're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. This church is the living bride of the bridegroom. Jesus Christ. And she has a lot of doctrine to figure out, beginning with the Trinity. And by the way, the word Trinity is never ever mentioned in the Bible, but the living, breathing church figures it out and presents it to the faithful. And uh, St. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. So these are the new Catholic traditions he's talking about, the tradition of the Eucharist, the tradition of baptism, the new traditions of the Catholic faith. And uh, he's saying, you know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but now his life has been changed by the risen Christ. Again, his testimony on the road to Damascus in in chapter 9 of Acts.
0: Bruce McGregor joined in studio today by Sharon Dorn of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study and uh, we are in the gospel of John Sharon and this has just been uh, marvelous i just want to stand down for about 30 seconds here and uh, thank you for being here uh, every other thursday as you are very faithfully to share the word of god with us
1: mm-hmm. it is my privilege and honor thank you bruce
0: all right well shall we move into yes. chapter 5
1: yes will you read those first 6 verses for us this is john chapter 5
0: i would be delighted to sometime later jesus went up to jerusalem for one of the jewish festivals
1: Lying there for 38 years, unable to move. Do you want to get well? Jesus sees the heart. Mm -hmm. He came to reveal hearts in Luke 2. He sees the heart of this man. Let's do a little line-by-line next to Jesus here. Some time had passed. We don't know how long. Uh, Jesus, we know, had about a three-year public ministry. We are told he went up to Jerusalem. Does that mean he was south of the city? No, mm-hmm. you always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is 2,600 feet above sea level. So you always are going up geographically to Jerusalem. What feast is it? It's an unnamed feast. We don't know. And and feasts are really, really important to John. And we learn a lot about the feast day, but this time it's an unnamed feast. Mm-hmm. We know from Exodus 23 that there were three required pilgrim feasts that families had to go to Jerusalem for. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Mm-hmm. And the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pen. Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Most scholars deduce that this was probably the Feast of Weeks, which is Shavat in Hebrew, which is Pentecost, 50 days. So um, they also called it the Feast of First Fruits. But today we'll see Jesus healing a paralytic, and he has been completely paralyzed for 38 years. Years. Wow. Now, this is both pastoral and spiritual, pastoral healing and spiritual healing on Jesus's part. He shows mercy to this suffering man, but to feel the weight of this, we have to understand the scripture passage as a first century Jew would have. So he's not just being nice. It's not just like, oh, Jesus is so nice. He's healing this paralyzed man today. No, it's way more than that. Jesus is announcing a great blessing for all of Israel and for all of the world. The time of curse is coming to an end and the time of blessing is going to be ushered in by the Messiah. It's upon them right now. This is Jesus. This is the anointed one. So Jesus has come to restore all of broken humanity, and he is fulfilling what the prophets said would happen when Messiah comes. Jesus is announcing himself as Messiah, first to the Jews, then the Samaritans, then the Gentiles, and today he wants to restore and heal those who aren't even sure they want to be healed. That's Everyone. The whole absolutely. Enchilada. Everyone. Yep. So we know that Jesus's ministry uh, had been gaining more steam than John's because John's disciples said, Hey, 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 Team Jesus, they're baptizing more than we are. And John's <laughs> reply was, Oh, he was filled with joy. He said, Oh, my work's complete as the best man because the bridegroom has come. So the main stage had been set for Jesus, Messiah. John ends up in prison. So he's sitting there day after day in a dark, dank prison cell and he begins to wonder, Wow. Boy, I hope I got this right. Yeah, I I, I I thought I had it figured out, but and we know we know that John was a believer, a huge believer of Jesus Christ. Well, he was filled with the Holy Spirit inside his mother's womb. We know that from Luke one. Zechariah was in the temple. He said that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. So why is John having doubts now? And I ask you, Bruce, can believers fall away once they have truly known Christ?
0: Absolutely, Sharon
1: you've been listening to Catholic Answers I have. <laughs> <laughs> on KBSS. I've been listening to it all. <laughs> <laughs> because yes, they can and yep. they can. And so John totally knows Jesus. He's totally a believer. He says, I can't even untie. This guy that's coming after me, the straps of his sandals, I can't even untie. And when he first sees him, he says, look, 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 the Lamb of God. And then when he's baptizing him, he said, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know. So, so we totally know that John knows Jesus Christ. He's mm-hmm. a believer. And so there where he sits in this prison cell. And, and Jesus himself calls him the greatest of all prophets up to that time. And Jesus in Matthew 11 said, Truly, I tell you, among those born of men, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So, so, what's happening? From his conception, he knew Jesus was Lord. Why is he having doubts now? I am sure that Satan was just having a heyday with John the Baptist when he was locked up in the prison cell mm-hmm. because that's when Satan likes to attack us, us too, Bruce, when we're weak, when we're vulnerable when we're isolated, when we're tired, when we're discouraged, and when we're not in fellowship with other believers. Mm -hmm. So here John sits totally isolated. He's cold. He's hungry. He sits there day after day, locked up in a prison cell, and Satan must have been shooting arrows at his mind. That's why St. Paul tells us, he warns the Ephesians in chapter 6, to put on the armor of God every day. Mm -hmm. Take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on your helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. That's the only offensive weapon we have, the word of God. So I encourage all of you out there, study your scripture so that you know God's word. It's a sharp two-edged sword against the enemy. Commit it to memory. So if you don't have a copy of it with you, you have it implanted in your mind and heart. Okay, because Satan will attack us when we're down, when we're alone, when we're isolated away from the body of Christ. So John sits in this prison cell and starts thinking, did I get it right? Mm -hmm. I know I said I wanted him to increase so I could decrease, but wow. Yeah, I'm in this prison cell, and I'm decreased. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come, or should we be expecting someone else? And so Jesus, in his great love and mercy, has a word for John and for us. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. That's going to be fulfilled today here in John chapter 5. The lame are going to walk. Mm -hmm. And those who have leprosy are clean. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He's encouraging John. He's exhorting John. John will not stumble. He's encouraged by what Jesus is doing, his deeds and his actions, the miracles he's performing. This is the way Christ is revealing his deity to the world. And John is bolstered by this. But we know how John, John. We know he's bolstered because he will be martyred at King Herod's birthday dinner party, mm-hmm. when uh, the promise to Herodias' daughter forms a uh, performs a very seductive dance, and Herod promises her whatever she asks for. And she, with her mother's coaching, says, "I'll take the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The greatest prophet of all time is going to be a party favor mm-hmm. for this young girl." Uh, so anyway, we see the water and the spirit all throughout John, John's. Um, Uh, Back to, from from Cana, to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman, to the royal officials, now here we are again uh, in front of a pool of water, and uh, we know Jesus has come for all, even those who aren't sure they want to be healed, he's come for them too. And um, I w- another thing I want to point out is that this man is 38 years old. And numbers are always important in Scripture. John would not waste the ink and the papyrus to tell us he's 38 if there was no reason. This is the only time the number 38 is used in the New Testament. Mm. Now, where else in the Bible is 38 used? Well, 40. 40 is a big biblical number. We hear 40 a lot. Mm-hmm. 40 minus 2 is...
0: 48. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> I got the, the easy questions today.
1: <laughs> for 40 years, the Israelites wander around the desert. Uh, how long should it have taken them to get to the promised land? If you look at a map, they the, what they could have done in easily in 40 days takes sure. them 40 years. Scholars, uh, some scholars say it should have taken about 11 days for that group of people to reach... What took them 40 years to reach Why? Why? Why 40 years? For 40 years they bitterly complain They have outrageous disobedience That first generation will die in the wilderness As a consequence of their unbelief Mm -hmm. The only ones who remain from that first generation Are going to be Joshua and Caleb The Israelites become hard-hearted Very hard-hearted But God in His mercy will spare the next generation And keep His promise to bring them to the promised land Even Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land he will die and be buried on Mount Nebo before entering. Uh, but Moses' successor is Joshua. And Joshua's a type of Jesus, a typology here, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Our catechism at number 128 tells us, The church, as early as apostolic times and then constantly in her tradition, has illuminated the unity of the divine plan in the two testaments through typology. Now, which discerns in God's work of the old covenant prefigures what he has accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of his incarnate son. So here we're going to see Joshua is a type of Jesus, a prefigurement of Jesus. Joshua will lead them into the promised land. Joshua is the same name as Jesus, Yeshua. And it means the Lord who has salvation. Joshua is literally the new Moses. And in this new covenant that Jesus is ushering in, Jesus is spiritually the new Moses. Both of them are going to lead people into the promised land. Joshua, a physical promise. Promised land, Jesus, Yeshua, a spiritual, eternal promised land, a way back to the Father. So, for 38 years, the Israelites are out there in the desert grumbling. They send out 12 spies to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb are two of those 12. It's in Deuteronomy 2, and there is a 38 year period in Numbers 14, scouting, uh, doing the scouting as Moses' generation symbolically dies out. They're not able to enter the land. 38 years pass in Deuteronomy 2 verse 14. Mm -hmm. By then the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn. Now, when they go spy out the land, 10 of them come back and say, there's no way we can do it. There's no way. They're too big. There are too many there. But Joshua and Caleb trust the Lord and listen to the Lord. And they say, yeah, they're big, but we can do it. With God's help, we can do it. They want to be obedient to God. And uh, so they are the only two that are going to make it. Um, Anyway, this man is 38 years old. He's been paralyzed for 38 years I'm sure he's done his share of grumbling.
0: You'd think. You know, yeah, I would. But you bet. Per-
1: perhaps he's indifferent about God. He lays there trapped in physical bondage. Maybe he's trapped also in spiritual bondage, sins of his mind. Is he angry? Is he resentful? Is he bitter? Is he not trusting God? Is he guilty of sins? Maybe lust with his eyes? We don't know, but we know he's been in physical bondage. There's a paralysis, but we know also there is some sort of spiritual bondage because in John uh Chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says to him, after he's healed them, he says, Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. So in some way, this man lying here has been sinning, unable to move, but still sinning. We know from Luke 2 that Jesus does know the heart. He knows the heart of this paralytic man. He sees his heart. He sees he's trapped in some kind of sin. Also, I want to point out that they're by a sheep gate, and uh, there's a pool. And in Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida. Um, anytime numbers are used in scriptures, our ears perk up. We're told that there are five colonnades. Hmm. Well, what's important about that? They're, they're laying there. There's water. There's water at Cana. That turns to wine. The Old Covenant has turned to the New Covenant. There's water in Samaria. She leaves the Old Covenant water behind in the jar and Mm -hmm. takes the new covenant, the living water that Jesus can give her. This man has been paralyzed for 38 years, but he's still seeking some kind of healing and there's water involved. This water is old covenant water. He lays there by water under five colonnades. Five in scripture is Torah pentateuch five books of the old law so we see these five john points that out there's Mm -hmm. five colonnades he's laying in this water of the old covenant the old covenant is the law the law of the torah the law cannot give new life no one could keep the law Mm -hmm. jesus had to come to bring a new covenant so waters on their own uh can't really purify it's the water And the spirit, as we're learning about in John, the water and the spirit that will give new life, life of healing from bondage of sin and death. And Jesus is the new covenant. He's going to be the living water that can heal this guy from the bondage of his physical body and the bondage of the spiritual sin he's trapped in. Mm -hmm. So they're laying at the sheep gate. And uh, the sheep gate is also important because that's one gate. Uh, We we saw that it was rebuilt after the exile, after they came back from the Babylonian exile in Nehemiah 3. The high priest and his fellow priest went to work. First thing they rebuilt was the sheep gate. That's the only gate that's sanctified. And you know why? Sheep go in there. And what are those sheep for? They're sacrificial lambs. They're sacrificial sheep. Once they go through the sheep gate, They're never coming back out alive. They need a savior because they're going to be slaughtered for sacrifice, for the atonement of the sin of Israel. And uh, Bethsaida in Hebrew means house of mercy. In Greek, it means house of grace. So here's this guy laying by the sheep gate. You can probably hear the sheep bleeding. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going in for sacrifice. They're never coming back out alive. They need a savior. This man is laying by this old covenant water. He needs a savior. He needs a Savior. If he stays trapped in that bondage of sin, forget the physical paralysis, that's bad enough, but if he stays in that bondage of sin, he's never going to have eternal life. Right. He needs a Savior. And the sheep are, <coughs> yeah. you know, bleeding in the background. I can, yeah. just, I can just feel the weight of that. And then um, in, in verse 7, can you read that verse 7 I there? Can.
0: Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, Someone else goes down ahead of me.
1: Now, what's that about? Apparently, the invalids lie here all day by this pool. Mm-hmm. And if an angel stirs up the healing water, then the first one in gets healed of whatever disease he had. <laughs> now, if you're laying there paralyzed, do you think you're going to be the first one in? Yep,
0: not going to make it.
1: <laughs> I, I uh, did some reading on this because I was interested in it. And uh, in ancient Greece and Rome, there were things called Asclepions that were healing pools. And they are sacred healing pools of the god Asclepius. And, you know, Jerusalem was becoming Hellenized as as well already the Hebrew scriptures had been translated into Greek, mm-hmm. the language of the septuagint subten- by the 70 scholars so so uh, perhaps this was some sort of healing pool. some scholars suggest that uh, it is a deliberate polemic against the cult of Asclepius oh, okay. an antagonism probably um, because he was you know he had healing attributes this is maybe something against that but Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk and at once the man was cured. He picks up his mat and walks. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, "'It is a Sabbath! The law forbids you to carry your mat.' But he replied, "'Well, the man who made me well said to me to pick up my mat and walk.' So they asked him, "'Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk?' The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, "'See, you are well again.' Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, I just, there's so much here. Um, Every synoptic has accounts of lame being healed as well. Luke has it. Mark has it. Remember in Mark, uh, you know, the story when they took off the tiles of the roof and lowered their friend down. I mean, that was a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. But, But in those stories, sometimes Jesus says, get up and walk. Sometimes in Mark 2, 5, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees went crazy. How can he say his sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. This man is speaking blasphemy. Now, in John's account, this has been performed on a Sabbath. Do they care that this man who's been laying there for 38 years can walk? No, they're just mad that he picked up his mat and walked on the Sabbath. That's work. That's doing work on the Sabbath. And so uh, here's Jesus ushering in a new covenant he's showing mercy towards those who are suffering and 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 here are the pharisees just fuming just furious that it, that it's been done on the sabbath mm-hmm. Uh, a lot is happening here, pro- prophecies being fulfilled. Isaiah said, on that day, when, when Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, it, the blind will see. Uh, in Isaiah 35, the ears of the blind, will, uh, eyes of the blind will be open, ears of the deaf and stop it. The lame will leap like a deer. Here's this man leaping for joy. He's been healed. I will rescue the lame, Zephaniah 3 tells us. When Messiah comes, I will rescue the lame. See what's happening is the, the, the curses of Deuteronomy are being turned to blessings. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 11, uh, there was a curse. There was a curse. If you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way I command you, uh, then God was going to to curse. Uh, God had cursed Israel. Deuteronomy 28 tells us that uh, they would be cursed for disobedience. Mm. But now the prophets are saying, but when Messiah comes, the deaf will hear. The blind will see. The lame will walk. So these prophecies are coming to fulfillment in front of their eyes. And it's happening with covenant outsiders, Samaritans, pagans romans you know and here this man he's 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 paralyzed he's ritually unclean he can't do the 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 ritual washings he can't go to temple he's an outsider and god and jesus christ is bringing him into the covenant bringing outsiders in jesus christ came to seek and save the lost and so and so the the pharisees don't like this uh uh, they they aren't sure what's happening, but they know this took place on a Sabbath. And if this man was holy, he wouldn't be breaking the law, our law. They had 613 mitzvah commandments in Judaism. 248 were positive commands that do, and 365 were negative commands that don't. Mm-hmm. And and they kept putting more fences and more fences and more fences around the law, making it absolutely impossible for the people to keep the law. Uh, and, and so it's just what he's doing here is... Um, uh, speaking about keeping the law, um, Orthodox Jews still keep the law. Right. Uh, we went to, to Jerusalem, and we stayed in a five-star, leading five-star hotel, and uh, we were there on Shabbat on on uh, Saturday. And I'll tell you what, you couldn't even get a brewed cup of coffee on Saturday morning at a five-star hotel because it's Shabbat. They cannot plug in the coffee pot, so they brought powdered Sanka coffee. Okay. And, <laughs> and you have to ride a special elevator that is pre-programmed to stop on every floor. It's called the Shabbat elevator elevator every Mm -hmm. other day you can take the north because to press the button would be work because you're completing an electrical circuit and uh even now, Orthodox Jews buy special refrigerators. Sub Zero makes a special refrigerator that doesn't make ice on Sabbath. It's pre-programmed, wow. and it doesn't. The light doesn't go on on the front door because that would be work to complete an electrical circuit. So, so <laughs> you can just see where I, I, I'm just pointing that out to show that this law that he did this on the Sabbath, and this man picked up his mat. That is work. Um, so. Um, in Mark 2, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees say, he's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins alone but God? Mm-hmm. And now they say, why can you, how, how is he doing work? If he says he's God, why would he work on the Sabbath? God rested on the seventh day. But we know that God is always at work sustaining life. Bruce, I couldn't take the next breath to say the next sentence if it weren't for the God of life, breathing life into me. Mm-hmm. I, I, child, children could not be born on the Sabbath. People could not die on the Sabbath. That's work for God uh technically. So so Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit the Trinity is always at work sustaining life. So Jesus just has a bigger message and he's got a lot of teaching to do with these people because they're not getting it. And and this man when Jesus says, "Do you want to be healed?" "Do you want to be healed?" Sometimes We don't want to be healed. Mm -hmm. We like living with ourselves. We like the things of the world. We like the sin we're trapped in. And Jesus is saying today, do you want to be healed? Because I could free you from the paralysis you're in, physical and spiritual. I could free you. I could be living water for you. I could heal you. And he does heal this man today. But we have to want to be healed. Amen. Amen.
0: Sharon, thanks so much. Goodness gracious. It's like uh, one of the days out of the week here where I just wish time was not a constraint. (laughs) Me too. But
1: I can come back again.
0: Yay! We're all in favor of that. All right. Sharon Dorn from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible study with us today. God bless you, Sharon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bruce.